I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. One headline read, Little Sarah is a member of the Plute class. Another read, Oil made Piccaninny rich. But the most heartbreaking was Find Sarah Rector. I'm Jay from Push Black. You're listening to Black History Year. Let me tell you about Sarah Rector. John Rector and his family were Creek freedmen. These were black folks who had been enslaved by the Muscogee Creek tribe. After the Civil War, the U.S. forced the Native American tribes who'd enslaved black folks to grant them two things, tribal membership and land. By 1902, John Rector and his wife were sitting on a whole lot of land in Taft, Oklahoma. Taft was about 60 miles from what would become the most famous town in black economic history the Greenwood District in Tulsa. You may know it as Black Wall Street. Directors lived a modest life and they were deeply committed to their children's future. Thinking to the future, the rectors gifted the land to Sarah and her two siblings. Unfortunately, the best land in the area was reserved for whites and Native Americans. So Sarah's land was useless. It was filled with rocks. It was useless for farming. Uh, Farming was how the rectors sustained themselves. John was quite enterprising, though. He managed to sell one parcel of the land for the equivalent of about 40 grand in today's money. Still, they were stuck with Sarah's land. The taxes were dragging the family down, and the courts actually refused to even let John Rector sell it. But Rector refused to give up. And when he saw oil gushers popping up all over town, he knew he had a solution. He could lease their land to the oil companies. It took about a year to pay off, but the oil rig on Sarah Rector's parcel struck a massive deposit. Sarah Rector's oil lease was earning her an estimated $8,000 per day in today's money. Her father had conceived of the plan and negotiated the deal, but Oklahoma wasn't having any of it. If you were black and newly wealthy, Oklahoma courts would install a financial guardian. Yeah, you heard that right. A mandated financial overseer. Because money creates power. It takes no imagination to imagine the fear that newly wealthy black folks created in Oklahoma's white society. Mind you, this was just one generation removed from slavery. They didn't care about the black folks without means, mind you. They only took an interest if there was something to be gained by whites. Of course, that meant the griff was on. On the tamer end of the spectrum, there are accounts of these guardians billing black folks ridiculous amounts for their services. On the pure evil end of the spectrum, there are accounts of guardians actually taking control of these kids' estates only to dump them off at orphanages and skip town. 
Sarah Rector was appointed a guardian named T.J. Porter. And because she had become a well-known figure, people had questions. Black-owned newspapers zeroed in on Porter and demanded accountability. They claimed Porter lived in luxury while Sarah lived in squalor. When the Chicago Defender ran the headline, Find Sarah Rector, the speculation about the young woman reached fever pitch. The Defender's fear was not unfounded. Not too far from Sarah, two black boys with a financial overseer were killed in an explosion. It was later determined that dynamite had been packed under their house by a group of men after their fortune. What had happened to Sarah Rector? When four different grown-ass men propose marriage, when you can't show your face in small-town Oklahoma without being swarmed by begging, it's time to get off the grid. The Rectors had gone into hiding. And who could blame them? Even though they had educated themselves and had their own success managing their affairs, they were subjected to all kinds of white folks ready to scam. John Rector wanted to expand Sarah's fortune by investing in more land, but the courts wouldn't even grant him control over his own affairs. They sent the transactions to T.J. Porter, whose son-in-law charged ridiculous fees. Eventually, this sickening display of white entitlement became too much for the Oklahoma courts. So Porter was separated from Sarah's estate. Despite all of this, when she reached adulthood, Rector was the richest black girl in America. In today's dollars, she was worth over 11 million bucks and she leveraged that wealth. She invested in real estate, stocks, bonds, money lending, businesses. And like most Americans, she lost much of her wealth during the 1929 crash. But Sarah Rector still lived comfortably for the rest of her life. As we'll hear in our upcoming interview with Dr. Boyce Watkins, we can learn a lot from the Rectors. Just as John Rector struggled against his circumstances, he still became financially literate. And even as they were saddled with others to control their financial destiny, they held their resolve and preserved their wealth. Black liberation and black economic know-how are connected. The question is, how free do you want to be? Somebody who can teach us a lot about this is our guest. Dr. Boyce Watkins earned his doctorate in finance from The Ohio State University and for the last several decades has been strengthening the black community through programs like the Black Business School with thousands of media appearances and a deep commitment to black financial health. And with that, Boyce Watkins, what does black liberation look like to you? Well, actually, I I remember hearing somebody uh, describe freedom as the ability to wake up in the morning and decide what you want to do with your day. You know, Um, and uh, and I would say black liberation, uh, if you link that, you know, to that that related idea of of freedom, um, uh, I think it's uh, it's connected to self-determination, the ability to uh, decide uh, who you're going to be. And uh, what you're going to do with your time and your life, and, and what direction you want your community to go, um, I think it's a it's a freedom from a lot of the the, the colonized colonized aspects of of what it meant to live in a world that uh, became hell bent on white supremacy. We you could be a slave and not even know you're a slave. Like there's a lot of you know a lot of slaves that think that they're free, but if somebody 
uh, colonized your mind before you even became conscious of, of what it even means to make your own decision, then you you can think you're doing it yourself, but really you're not. You know, almost like when my uh, when my daughter was 18 and she was telling me that she likes to do this, this, and this because that's who she is. She didn't know that I programmed certain things in her when she was four years old. You know what I mean? All right, so let's get more specific. What does Black economic liberation look like to you? Uh, black economic liberation has a lot to do with um, with ownership uh, and control of resources uh, in such a way that it allows us to pursue agendas and uh, and and to uh, objectives that, that matter to us, right? So um, uh, economic liberation would mean, for example, instead of having Jay-Z and Colin Kaepernick fighting over who gets to get a check from the NFL, uh, you actually have a sports league where there are thousands of, of black folks getting checks from the sports league. Um, you know, uh, you know, economic liberation means uh, us it, it, at least being able to have things like freedom of speech, which is not afforded to you in America if you're not economically sound. Uh, you know, that, that's how people get shut down is they, they mess up your money. Uh, so economic liberation, I think, starts at the, at the foundation of what you're, how you're taught to play this economic game, you know, if you if you're taught to come into the game as a as a slave or as 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 a uh, subordinate, then you're probably not going to win that game, especially not the game of capitalism. Uh, and so, in a way, it's like uh, if we're all going to play basketball, and I know that, uh, and let's say I want to I want to control the game more than more than the other guy. So I know that being the quarterback or being the coach is the is the best position to play to control how the football game goes. And you don't understand that, so you come in as a as a, a cheerleader, a water boy, or as a, you know, I don't know, a, a punt returner, um, then you're not going to have control over that game, no matter how good you are. Right. So we come into the economic game looking for the wrong positions to begin with. You know, when we integrated integration itself is not a bad idea, but the problem with integration was that we came into that economic game seeking a subordinated position. So sometimes you lose the game before the game even starts because you're playing the wrong game, you're playing it the wrong way, and you're entering in the wrong position where winning is, 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 is a very low probability for you. But capitalism is the game we're forced to play. So where has capitalism worked and failed as a system for Black folks? Capitalism is not so much a system that, is, uh, that cares a whole lot about humanity and cares, cares much about people. Um, I'm not a big fan of raw capitalism at all. Um, I think it's 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 very cold. It's uh it's really evil actually. Um, you know, I mean that's what it is, you know. And so um, I don't look at it so much as having this debate from a position of supporting or rejecting the idea of capitalism. I think it's a matter of understanding the strengths and weaknesses of it, um, and 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 knowing how that how that system works so that you can position yourself to be empowered within the context of that system. You know, like I, I think a rational, logical person can pick the best of all the different uh, ideologies and piece together something that helps them achieve a specific goal. So I think for black people, I don't think we need an emergence of, of black capitalism. I just don't think that's going to help us because if you get black capitalism, you, what you're going to do is you're going to create a bunch of Jay-Z's and Byron Allen's and the masses of the people are going to be sitting in the hood struggling. You know what I mean? A better model is one where you still got your wealthy black folks out here, but 
uh, your measuring sticks of black success and black excellence, as Diddy likes to call it, um, is a little bit broader. So, for example, if I'm talking to a Diddy or a Jay-Z, um, I think it's great that you're a billionaire. But I'd like to say, where, did you create a couple hundred millionaires in the process? Did you create, uh, you know, 10,000 jobs, you know, and, and, and or, or let me see the neighborhood you grew up in, uh, you know, that you're repping in your music. Is that neighborhood doing better, you know, on a per capita basis because you're from that community, right? So I, I think that that's what Black folks need. Uh, we need um, solutions that stimulate opportunity for the masses. It took me a while to, to realize that, is that Black people are really wealthy. Like, compared to the rest of the world, we have a lot of wealth. $1.3 trillion is four times the gross domestic product of Colombia. And they run a whole country <laughs> with that money, right? And, and, and they have the same number of people that we have in the black. They have 40 million there. We got 40 million here. So we got four times more resources to take care of the same number of people. And, and I think that for black folks that because we think we're economically short, um, we, we will embrace a poverty mentality. And the pov- unfortunately, the poverty mentality, is it, it can be very defeatist. It's where you say, well, why would I try to educate my own kids? I don't have any money. Why would I try to invest? I don't have any resources. Investors are rich. I'm not rich, right? Well, well, I'm just here to tell black people that, no, actually, you are quite rich. If black people were a country on their own, we would be one of the richest countries on the planet. So um, the, the reason you think you're poor is because white people are incredibly rich, right? So I, so I believe that the best way to achieve progress as black people is to start off by stop com- always comparing yourself to white people. That's it. You know, stop comparing your money to his money. That ain't, that's not going to help you win. It's only going to piss you off because sometimes his validation is as much of an insult to you as it is um, a compliment. You know, so for example, you become an entertainer and white America loves you. They think you're the greatest entertainer in the world. You know what I mean? Like they love a good menstrual show, right? So that's not always a compliment, right? So I think dignity uh, goes a long way in the sense that dignity doesn't cost you any money, but a person with dignity, which is something we actually had before integration, I think in much, much higher abundance, Dignity is, is where a, a man who doesn't have a lot of money will still say, I'm still going to wear my best suit so I can le- at least be and, 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 you know be clean and look as good as I possibly can. I'm going to walk with my back straight. I'm going to carry myself in a certain way. So economic dignity is where you have a guy who says, look, I ain't got much, but this is what I got. You know, I got this little piece of land. I'm going to take care of it. I got this little business. I'm going to nurture it. You know, I got these little assets. I'm going to protect it. I'm going to leave it to my children. I'm going to put it, you know, like, like, like that dignity, that pride. Um, it's, it's what basically it's like how they say that people that own their home take better care of the home than people who rent because they have pride in what they have. Right. So when you have pride in your economic resources, you protect those resources. But if you don't have pride, like you think, well, I'm poor, I don't have much what I got ain't worth nothing, then, then that's when you become um, economically irresponsible and, and you lose your economic consciousness, right? You start saying, well, why not go buy another Popeye's chicken sandwich with my money because I can't afford to invest, right? Why not go in and, and spend my money with, the, with these companies that care nothing about me? My money ain't nothing. And, they, and, and so, so what happens is they value you more economically than you value yourself. And a person that does not value themselves gives 
what gives their best away cheaply. Like, like in love, if you don't value yourself, you'll give your time and your body away to people who don't respect you. So because black people don't have that dignity as much as I think that we could, uh, because we don't value what we have, because we think that we're poor, we, we, it, it, so we, we see ourselves as cheap. And so when you see yourself as cheap, you give away what you have. You give away that whole 1.3 trillion because you think it ain't nothing. So everybody gets rich off of black people, except for black people. At Alma, we know the connection between you and your therapist matters. But if you're already feeling stressed and burnt out, the idea of trying to find a therapist you really connect with can be overwhelming. That's why Alma's focused on helping you find the right therapist for you. When you browse their online directory, you can filter your search based on the qualities that are most important to you. Then you can book a free 15-minute consultation call with any therapist you're interested in seeing. So you can get a feel for whether they're the right fit before you commit to a full-length session. Alma also makes it easy for mental health care providers to navigate insurance. That's why 95% of therapists in their directory accept insurance for sessions. So you can find care that's affordable without stressing about the paperwork. You want to talk to someone, but not just anyone. Alma is there to help you find the right fit. Visit HelloAlma.com Therapy60 to schedule a free consultation today. That's HelloAlma.com Therapy60. So what options are available to Black folks? What do you think about the idea of buy black at scale, building an alternative economy within our communities? I, I don't want to be overly idealistic and assume that we can have this complete separate sort of thing. You know, in fact, that's, that's not even healthy. Economic separation is not actually healthy for an economy. Basically, when you think about an economy, I, I think that it starts with, with conscious decision making when it comes to money, conscious consumerism, conscious investment, conscious, conscious production where you're thinking about where your resources are going. And uh, one of the things we teach students in the Black Business School is how to actually create an economy that's small within your own family, within your own circle. And so the, 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 the three major C's, we, we have the three C's of creating an economy, which is the market for capital, the market for contractors, and the market for customers. I got, you know, I go to you and say, hey man, I, I want to start this business. I know you got an extra five grand sitting around, you looking to build your money. I got this great idea, I make a pitch. You know, maybe you become the investor. I do the work, right? And then you got the market for contractors, which is basically a labor market. So now we got to do this task. Now we got to go hire some people that we can get to do this task. Uh, and, and then the last part is the market for customers. Once we've invested the money and done the work to build a product, if you get people to buy the product, then you win. So really, I think, you know, one of the key solutions for black people is that our children should be trained on economics at an early age. Like they should just understand the difference between being a producer and being a consumer, uh, being an owner versus being a renter, you know, and, and, and just kind of how the American economy is rigged in that way. And then at that point, they should be trained on, uh, on just the fundamentals of, of what, con- what economic consciousness means and what black love, what self-love really means. Uh, because self-love is when you say, I don't want to be away from black people. I want to be closer to black people. And what that does is that that creates uh, a closed, a closed loop uh, sort of uh, ecosystem where, you know, I'm buying from you one day, you're selling to me. I'm selling to you the next day, you're buying from me. And, and we got this thing going in our little circle and we don't actually have to go outside of that unit to make things happen. And, and we've got plenty of consumers, but we've also got plenty of producers. Got it. Cool. Thank you. What are some of the key wealth building strategies that we as a people could participate in in general? Uh, there are three major ways that people get rich in America, uh, and that is through uh, stock investment, 
uh, stocks and bonds, uh, real estate and entrepreneurship. Those are the three ways you can uh, find income, uh, own assets, accelerate income growth, et cetera. And it all comes back to this word called capital, which every black child in America should know that word by the time they're five years old. Uh, capital is the foundation of wealth creation all throughout the United States. Um, the stock market is the easiest pathway to jump in uh, because that, and then that's actually been uh, the most uh, impactful, at least for the last 20, 25, 30 years. Uh, the stock market has just been almost like shooting fish in a barrel in terms of, of wealth creation. I've seen people with very little money with consistent stock investment strategies just grow and literally rise up a couple of tax brackets or whatever. And your children should know about uh, all the different ways to make money in this country, not just one, right? When I was a kid, uh, all I heard when we talked about money was go get a job, go get a job. And there are lots of ways to make money without a job. And in fact, the 1%, they don't make their money from jobs. They make their money from uh, from capital gains, you know, from uh, in investments that are paying the money. So uh, I think entrepreneurship is something that every uh, black child in America should know. America and beyond should understand uh, just as a protective mechanism. Um, I think entrepreneurship is certainly something that black men need to understand because black men have always been rejected from the workplace in a way that nobody else is uh, because there's something about who you are, you know, just you're, you're brilliant, you're powerful. You, uh, if you're, if you have ambition, uh, then that makes you a threat, you know. And so, uh, human nature dictates that they're not really going to give a lot of power in those institutions to uh, dark-skinned men who are threats, right? Um, and uh, and then the last piece, real estate. Real estate takes the most time, I think, to really understand. Uh, but real estate is beautiful because, as Jay Morrison always talks about, the whole world is nothing but a big ball of real estate. And black people need to get back into land ownership. Because 100 years ago, we owned 15 times more land than we own today. Uh, so we traded in ownership of land and businesses uh, for jobs. And, uh, and that was not a good trade for us. That did not work for us. So um, um, I, I think making uh, understanding economics is a culture. Wealth building is a culture. Entrepreneurship is a culture. Implement that culture in your family. Uh, we have a, uh, a black business school for children. It's called Black Millionaires of Tomorrow. And, uh, and we are able to teach children to have a financial literacy level that exceeds the average college-educated adult. That's dope. I got a four-year-old. When can we start her? We actually have a mom that's actually training her daughter on wealth at the age of two. She was having her daughter, she was using um, these, uh, these black financial flashcards we created for black children, where she was basically have, reading the uh, financial terms and, her mother, and the, the baby was repeating them back to her. So she say capital, and the little girl would go capital, and she say real estate, and the little girl real estate, right? And uh, diversification, diversification, and and, I, and, I, and and the reason I loved it is because what she was doing was actually digging into the child's subconscious. You see, so for example, if you ask somebody who's been going to church their whole life, when's the first time your mama ever took you to church? They can't tell you because their mother was taking them to church when they were a newborn baby. Um, Kids are learning how to dance and, and imitate rap songs at an early age and, you know, or, or play sports. We're great at sports because you got little kids, you know, dribbling basketballs at the age of two and et cetera. So why not do that with wealth? Speaking of getting the kids involved, and you also mentioned land ownership and passing that down. Can you speak about generational wealth and why that's an important thing, an important concept for the black community to latch on to? If you think about generational wealth, I think the question becomes, uh, okay, I know what I've gone through. I know how badly these people have made me feel. I know how difficult it was for me. Um, do I want my children and grandchildren and great-grandchildren to go through the same thing? Um, 
that's the fundamental question, you know, uh, and, and I think generational wealth is um, something that you understand if you understand how wealth works and what it's all about. You know, wealth building, as Dr. Claude Anderson talks about, it's a team sport. Um, and it's not a solo race. It's a relay race. It's not about how well you do. It's, it's how far you can run the, move the baton before you hand it off to the next person. And you have to hand it off to them in a better position than you were in. So um, I think generational wealth as part of the culture is an important um, aspect of, 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 you know, your value system. My role in legacy is to make sure that, you know, that at my funeral, uh, certain things, you know, are happening and certain things are not happening. Like what's not going to happen at my funeral is, you know, my children having a GoFundMe account to pay for my funeral or having to ask the church to take a collection of, that's not going to happen. Uh, what's not going to happen is a bunch of chaos and confusion and lost wealth uh, because my estate is in probate because I didn't take that time to uh, set up a will. Uh, you know, what's not going to happen is uh, my loved ones stuck and, and, and screwed over financially because I didn't take that time to, you know, get a couple of life insurance policies in place, you know, et cetera. Right. So um, I, I think that there's some basic things you can do in terms of uh, generational wealth. I think anybody who takes wealth building seriously has to take generational wealth, estate planning, wills and trusts seriously, because 70% of all wealthy families lose all their wealth in one generation. 90% of those families lose all their wealth within two generations. So building wealth is important, but protecting it is critical. And you have to protect it from all enemies, both foreign and domestic. This is where the story of Sarah Rector becomes extremely important. Nobody's going to care about preserving your family's wealth more than you are. Recently, we've seen all kinds of companies engaged in outrageous predatory lending practices. According to a 2013 report by researchers at Brandeis University, half the collective wealth of black families was stripped away during the Great Recession. How do we protect ourselves from those type of threats in the future? Well, well, let me say this. I, you know, I, I can't pretend to be an expert on, on, you know, on all, all aspects of, of this, but what, but I have had some thoughts on this. Um, you know, I mean, the Black Wall Street massacre, I, my God, I mean, that was, that, that's just one of those things where you just, I mean, you know, the audacity of it is, uh, is, is just really problematic. That, that's America. Now, uh, has America changed? I believe that it has in certain ways, uh, but it has not in certain other ways. Um, it's, it's always been a treacherous, treacherous country. There's always a threat for everyone when it comes to building wealth. Uh, one of the things that I've thought about in terms from a community standpoint is, you know, aspects of global diversification. You know, as we're, as we are building these industries up and doing these things, I think that it's a slippery slope for African-Americans as a community to think that we can build any sort of empire on the slippery slope of just focusing on American soil. Um, I think connecting to the vast multi-trillion dollar resources that exist on the continent of Africa, um, you know, also even down in, I mean, Latin America, you got 110 million black people in Brazil. Um, you got the Caribbean. Um, I think that connecting globally in various ways um, could serve as a protective mechanism and wealth because one of the keys to protecting wealth is diversification. Just don't put all your eggs in one basket, right? So, um, you know, I would say just little basic things. Number one, I tell every black, folk, every black person I know, you got to get a passport and learn about 
the other places that black people live because part of the reason that you feel oppressed is because you've disconnected from your power base. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. We've talked about the value of developing strong black businesses and strong black communities. But I'd like to get your thoughts on integration. Pluses, minuses, the role is a place today. I think integration, unfortunately, was a reflection of a a collective self-esteem problem that we have, um, you know, as a community. Uh, I, I think that that's that slavery kind of, um, it, it created this weird thing where we wanted to, um, we wanted to sort of be on the other side of the tracks and, 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 and sort of get closer to the people who hated us the most. And, and that was our only measuring stick of what it meant to be successful. So effectively with integration, and I think Dr. King figured this out, you know, toward the end of his life, you know, right? Um, integration was this weird exercise where it was like, okay, um, we want to, we don't want to build our own businesses because black businesses clearly aren't uh, equal to white businesses. So we want to be a part of your businesses. And, and we don't want to actually own those businesses. We just want to buy from you and come work for you, right? It's, it's kind of sad because, you know, kids are being taught today that integration in the civil rights movement was a good thing and that we've made all this progress. And every indicator, every single indicator of quality of black life, education, economics, and otherwise, has basically said that we move backward. Integration is like a merger between two companies. You know, if two companies come together, there's a negotiation that takes place, right? So there's a difference between two companies merging as equal partners versus one company swallowing up the other, right? We didn't, we didn't really merge with America. We were swallowed up by America, right? And, uh, and, and so, um, so really, it, it was just sort of modern-day colonialism. That's what it kind of became for us. So now, when your children get to a certain age, you hand them over to white people to educate your child, and they're not educating them properly, right? We know this. Uh, when, you, when it's time for you to go to work, you're going, you're looking for the white man that will hire you. Um, when you turn on the TV, you're consuming media that uh, reflects the worst of you and the best of them. I don't see where we win from that deal. You know, we serve as consumers. Uh, we, we serve as, as laborers. Uh, we're, we're not the ones who are driving this, this ship. So we got put in the car, but they put us in the trunk and they're, they're the ones driving down the road. It seems like there needs to be a mindset shift between how we see ourselves in the world, and how we spend our money. Operating primarily as consumers in this society isn't really advancing our community. So um, in the Black Business School, we have what we call the Black Core of Three, which is we believe Black people should educate our own children, create our own jobs, and support Black businesses. And so um, so, so education is, is a good start. Um, I think parents should override the educational process put them on some other website or whatever, make sure they're learning what they need to know. Cause you got to think about this Think about how dangerous this is. You, you literally have children that know more about slave masters like George Washington than they know about people like Marcus Garvey. 
what the hell is that? How can you ever liberate yourself when you are worshiping the slave master and ignoring the slave liberator? So um, I think that having a community full of investors, also investors that want to consciously put their money into the community, into things where they relate to the success of black people, that community is going to thrive. The last piece on superiority, sort of feeling proud of who you are and proud of what you, what you have, where you come from, which is connected to education. Um, I, I think that's important because when you talk about redirecting those black dollars and getting us to really do those things, um, psychologically, we have to understand that, uh, first of all, understanding, you know, that how powerful black people are, what black excellence looks like, and how powerful we are with that 1.3 trillion. I think that all links back to that sense of feeling good about ourselves and what we have to work with. And then at that point, being conscious about where you exert that power. All right. I have one more question and that's about reparations. My understanding of your position is that you think reparations are deserved, but you don't think it's something that black folks should hold our breath for. Do I have that right? To me, the biggest fear with reparations is not whether or not something's going to happen. I, I'm concerned that something's gonna, something is going to get passed and it's going to be a half-assed initiative. It's just not going to be anything, even a, even, even a fraction of what black folks deserve. I, I don't think America can even repay that debt, honestly. I, I don't think they have the resources to do it, nor do they have the political will. Um, but maybe they'll surprise me. You know, I, I'm, I'm not going to stand here and say I wouldn't support it. You know, it, if something came along that made sense, I would support that. Uh, I'm, so I'm not saying people shouldn't fight for it, but I think if, if that's your only solution, I kind of feel sorry for you. You know, I, I kind of feel sorry for any black person that has been led to believe that the only way that they're going to overcome racial oppression is if white people decide to do the right thing. Um, I don't believe that. I believe that we will overcome racial oppression when black people decide to do the right thing. All we need is each other. Uh, we got a lot to work with right there. Like that, we're at the end of this episode of Black History Year. Black History Year is produced by Push Black, the nation's largest nonprofit black media company. Production support from Michael L. Sesser and Lemina House. Obviously, the power that comes from knowing our history is important to you. Push Black exists because we saw we had to take this into our own hands. You make Push Black happen with your contributions at blackhistoryyear.com. Most folks do five or ten bucks a month, but everything makes a difference. Thanks for supporting the work. I'm Jay from Push Black. Thanks for checking us out. Peace. <laughs>